Thanks for listening to show 17 of the C-Suite podcast, which is also the first in a series of special shows produced in association with the World PR Forum that is taking place in Toronto at the end of May. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and over the coming months, I'm going to be interviewing speakers from the forum about the topics of their presentations. And to kick off um, and returning for his second appearance on the show, I'm joined here in the studios of Marketeers by Stephen Waddington, who is Partner and Chief Engagement Officer at Ketchum. Sitting alongside Stephen is Janet Morgan, who is the former director for Global Content Strategy and Planning at GlaxoSmithKline. And on the line from Dubai, and therefore adding a truly international feel to the show, we have Alex Malouf. Alex is Corporate Communications and Reputation Manager for the Arabian Peninsula at Procter & Gamble, but is also the Vice Chair of the Middle East Public Relations Association. And so I really appreciate him joining us, um, because given the time difference, uh, the uh, time we're recording this, we're eating into his early evening. So uh, thanks for joining us, Alex. As always, if you want to comment on any part of the discussion, please share your thoughts on Twitter using a new hashtag for this show, which is hash WPRF podcast. So a warm welcome back to the uh, the show and the series to Stephen Waddington. Um, incredibly, almost 12 months since we yeah. recorded show six uh, back in March. How, how's things been? Uh, so I think we talked about the CIPR then. And I was past president. You just finished, um, yeah, and just, just taken on the role of chief engagement officer. I just got the new job. I'm still in the new job. <laughs> uh, still employed at Ketchum. Still thinking a lot, although I've moved on from the CIPR now, I'm still thinking a lot about practice and the evolution of practice and um, our relationship with academia um, through the work I'm also doing at Newcastle. Excellent. Well, that's kind of leads us nicely onto my first question, because your session at the World PR Forum is modernising public relations teams. And I guess that begs the question why they need an overhaul and what you think they're struggling with in, in particular. Um, there's two aspects of this, and this is kind of a build of a session I was involved in two years ago at the um, the. Uh, Global Alliance World PR Forum in in Madrid, um, where we were looking at the workflow within both public relations uh, in-house teams and agency teams. Just as as practice is evolving and we're having to embrace new skills within practice, predominantly driven by digital and technology, um, we, we have access, unlike ever before, to greater sources of data for planning, to greater sources of content, to all sorts of new channels, some of them digital. And then we're also seeing uh, a, a convergence with marketing around areas like influencer marketing. And you know, we, we can talk about um, the, the, uh, the use of paid within public relations. Yeah, and then finally, from a measurement point of view, there's you know, more sophisticated ways than ever before using digital techniques, both to listen to to conversation, get insight, but also to to understand the behaviour of, of consumers and the impact of public relations and measure it to a very granular level. Do you, so, do, do you think there is a, a struggle with um, sort of getting to grips with all this? And 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 it, would you, I mean, you mentioned in house and agency. There is is anyone in particular that's sort of you know struggling more? I suppose. Well, so, so much of the agency business comes from a publicity background, so very focused on media relations. The in-house, in-house, you know, we're talking in the broader sense here. In-house, much more from a management point of view. Um, so I think the biggest changes are happening within agencies, but then agencies exist to serve a market of in-house professionals. So uh, the two are in, the two are interrelated. I I think um, you know I I really truly believe this is an issue we're going to see played out over a, a 
a generation, the coming generation of practice. And I think it relates to the opportunity that the profession has just to completely modernize, become much more professional in its, its attitude, which is why, you know, organizations, professional organizations around the world are very much focusing on competency frameworks, on skills. And, you know, that's an area where the Global Alliance is firmly leading. Um, in fact, in, in Canada, is uh, the Toronto meeting is going to be uh, announcing its its new competency framework for what uh, good looks like, excellence looks like for a practitioner. And, and given it's a it's a world PR forum, is is there are you finding you know comparing different territories? Is is there is the issue you know country to country? Is it is it a global issue? Is it specific to p- particular regions? Um, so I can re- really only speak to my own um, experience within within catching my own practice, looking around the world. Um, working where we do, and it's very much related, I think, to the evolution of media and the development uh, of media. Uh, and you know, and in that sense, um, North America and mainland Europe is is kind of uh, quite sophisticated and advanced. But then, you know, you also look to to developing areas of the world that have leapfrogged technology. Um, you know, looking now, thinking about. Um, the African continent, India and Asia, where, you know, we've jumped straight to fiber technology and, and very fast networks and also mobile mobile technology. So they've kind of been completely disintermediated. Uh, Janet and Alex, would, would you agree with Stephen's assessment there? Janet, maybe let's, let's come to you first. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'd almost extend it because if I look at it from an in-house perspective, um, while we have looked at media equally, what we're finding from a digital bit is we're having to connect in because of social media, things like the customer response center or sometimes product availability in different countries and understanding that. What we are going to have to find ways to do is somehow or other be more responsive, be faster. If you look, there's a study that Freshfields released a little while ago. It's actually based on crises that hit between 2007 and 2012. So the world's moved on a bit. But even then, what they found was that a quarter of crises that were breaking on social media were going into international media within an hour um, two-thirds were making it into international media within 24 hours. And yet, once it's broken, companies were taking 21 hours to get back to them. You know, that's trial by Twitter in, in nearly a day until you come back. Uh, Alex, what's your sort of experience and thoughts on this? I think, you know, in terms of what is happening in an emerging market like the Middle East, um, digital has changed everything. Look, social media and digital are being responsible for and they're the biggest change politically in the region for at least... Possibly a century, even with the Arab Spring, and uh, consumers get it. Consumers understand social and digital. Um, clients are struggling, I think, to keep up, and and obviously because clients are struggling, then agencies are caught in the middle. Agencies see both sides, and uh, they are they're trying to advise clients the best way possible. But it's you know it, it's not just changing the, the communications approach; it's also changing the management approach as well. Mm. So, so how how does the, the client side how does the management respond to social media and particularly in an emerging market and a criticism which they may never have seen themselves because obviously you're not going to see as much criticism in the media much of which is government owned in any case no no St- Stephen just picking up on what's been said there and com- coming back to you on this are there any industries that, that you feel getting things right and if so how, how are they achieving it <laughs> well so, so interesting Janet talks about um, Twitter and trial by Twitter because the sharp end of customer service on Twitter is the hospitality 
business and the travel business. And you can see that day in, day out, if you open up your mobile phone on Twitter or whatever social network you want to use, where people's mismatch between the expectation of a transport provider and what the services they actually get it results in, you know, moaning and bitching. Um, and, and day in, day out, um, any transport provider that doesn't meet customer expectation is 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 you know, uh, faced with real-time affronts via, via social. So in those sectors, customer service has been integrated with public relations incredibly quickly and is kind of at the vanguard of, of because it has to be, of where we are. I'd also point to the hospitality industry, um, you know, the, the sporting industry, anything where there's a real-time live component um, so the broadcast industry as as well. These have all been you know, right at the front uh, at the pace of of innovation in in social and digital. Um, you know that's not to say that there aren't other very progressive areas of of development. I'm you know I follow or I have followed for the last two years the work work of the government communication service in the UK because they've gone through a very similar under Alex Aitken a very similar modernisation process to that which you know all lots of agencies and in-house organizations are having to go through because they're a public government organization they've done it very publicly and be very open in how they've communicated with their citizens uk citizens about how they're doing that so you know there's examples of, of best practice in lots of other areas but it's definitely that any aspect where there's a real-time customer element to it is is right at the vanguard of this issue. Alex actually uh, featured, I think it was on show three of this series, we did right. one on government comms, so uh, yeah, anyone listening wants to go back through our archives, they, they can find his comment on that actually, so, so thank you for that, <laughs> chance to plug some archive content. Um, you're, you're putting together a panel in your uh, in the event, you, do you know who's going to be on that yet, or are we um, too so early to say? It's funny we had a, a call uh, with the C Canadian Association this week to, to talk about exactly this issue. What I want to do is bring together. I'm obviously from an agency background to bring together someone from an in-house role, but then also someone from a public service um, from government, maybe. Um, so you've got that that breadth of, of disciplines and breadth of practice uh, and we can each talk to our, our own area because you know as, as we've already discovered it's not an issue that's unique to any one area of practice yeah. or any one discipline okay well we look uh, forward to hearing more about that at, at the event um now the, the theme of the conference is communication across cultures and so it's great that both janet and alex are on the show together um as their sessions cover topics aligned to that theme in, in particular alex let, let's come to you first uh, you'll be talking about understanding culturally aware communications and obviously I sort of before the show i was doing my research read your biog um and i think you're probably in a pretty good position to com uh, comment on this kind of stuff it, it describes you as a journalist by training with a cultural mix of european and arabic um and so obviously having worked in the middle east for the past 12 years i'm guessing you must have come across uh, or come up against uh, sort of regular localization challenges working in that region localization is you know it's a challenge i think a lot of multinationals especially have an issue with you know trying to take what happens in HQ on that global level and then reaching out locally to stakeholders and saying, look, this is what we do, this is how we do it, this is why we do it. And and obviously, you know, if you're if you're over a couple of thousand miles away, it, it's always a challenge actually understanding you know, what are, what is done on on the, the local level. Um, and again a lot of organizations they need to understand that there needs to be a two way dialogue internally in terms of the communications department. And that the people on the ground need to 
be listened to, they need to be heard, and the folks in HQ need to understand, look, this is the difference. You know, if you look, say, at a, at a country like uh, Saudi, um, Saudi majority population in the age of 24, and yet the average age until recently of, of ministers in government was, you know, mid-60s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, tweeting to a minister in his mid-60s isn't really going to do the trick if you if you want to influence something in public affairs. So it's, it's really understanding the dynamics on the ground and, and making sure, um, especially on the client side, that that it's understood on the, on the corporate level that obviously the situation is different and we need to really tailor the approach. You can have the same messaging, but it's, it's pushing that messaging in a different fashion so that you know, it's understood by the people who matter. Mm. Uh, in that country, in that location, would it, would it be fair to say that it's very mobile driven in in that region? In in especially in the Gulf, if yeah. you're looking at the Gulf, UAE was found by Google to be number one, say three years back in terms of smartphone usage. The yeah. percentage was around eighty four percent. Saudi was number three, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was eking up to ninety percent. Um, everybody is on their mobile. They've all got four G connections. It's very cheap as well. So. Uh, you know, even and it, it's actually not just a, a youth uh, issue. It you know, I, I for example, in the family, uh, my wife's family is from the Gulf region, and my mother-in-law is, is you know, she's constantly on the mobile phone you know, in terms of uh, messaging. She's on yeah. there on WhatsApp. She's actually not consuming any media uh, through television anymore, and and that is not unusual uh, in the Gulf region. Mm. Now. Um just changing topic slightly, you're, you're also the vice chair of the Middle East Public Relations Association. I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the work that, that they are doing there and, and how you get involved in that. So what we, um, what we do through MEPRA, the Middle East Public Relations Association, is essentially act as a voice for the industry over here. Uh, one of um, Stephen's um, former colleagues, Nicola Gregson, she was the chair two years ago. So uh, we've got a lot of uh, people from the agency side and also as well client side coming together and advocating for what communications is um, educating people around us in terms of pushing for change, uh, pushing for communications to be seen as a key part of business and also as well helping others in terms of development, helping others in terms of getting into the industry. So essentially promoting the industry as it should be. Um, in a, an emerging market, which is rapidly developing. Excellent. Um, now, now, I mentioned your workshop is going to be on uh, how to understand culturally aware communications. And in your pitch to the conference organisers, I, I was reading the, the document, you made the point that reliance on English as the global language of uh, business can result in miscommunication with important stakeholder groups in regions where English is not the native language. I, I was just wondering if you had any examples you could share with us. Well, a good example would be um, the financial sector. Um, you've got firstly the language issue. So it's very difficult to translate um, the financial communications from English into Arabic. But even going beyond that, you've also got Sharia financing, so Islamic financing. And and that is a completely different concept in terms of what financing is. You you don't have concepts, for example, such as debt. Um, You don't have concepts such as loans. Um, So really... Uh, if you're going to reach out, even as a conventional bank, you've got to think, look, how do we take what we understand in English, how do we not just, as is usually done, translate literally, but also translate um, and, and bring the meaning of what 
we are trying to convey yeah. to those stakeholder groups locally on the ground. And this doesn't, again, doesn't need to be just in Arabic. For example, you can look at Africa. Um, I was at a um, the event in Kenya, the Global Alliance, recently, and uh, we were talking about the issue of corruption, how it's understood differently in an African context. So you know, there are so many issues out there where stakeholders, where communicators need to be aware of the differences in terms of taking you know, the, the mainstream, the, the English business language, and then translating that on the ground, understanding what they're talking about and how they can convey that message in a different language to a different, completely different culture in most instances. So, Stephen, if I could chip in as well, there's, there's a, it's very easy sat in, in, in the Western Hemisphere, to, to, especially in London, to take an Anglo-centric view of media. And I find day in, day out, we, from a digital point of view, think very much in terms of Facebook and Google and Instagram as the dominant platforms, Twitter as well. We've already mentioned that. Um, you know, you move out beyond, um, out towards Asia, though, and, and into areas like China, and, you know, there's a completely different set of very, very different different media. And right the way across practice, that has issues, um, you know, media in China, right? we could talk about for, for the rest of the session, but, you know, you just don't have the same level of access to, to data, to information, to APIs. Um, on a network kind, kind of like Weibo and you know there's still an area of, of huge development so you, you've got to think very clearly from a channel point of view you know the, the similar sort of issues are applying you cannot roll out a standard toolbox and you know expect content that you're developing in, in North America or in London to work in, in, in these markets also from a paid point of view you know in, in different different media and different markets the algorithms work in different ways influencer marketing influencers you know some will work from an end point of view but some expect to be paid and uh, yeah. it, you've very much got to rely on the people that are local and native and understand the media and the networks and, and how they work definitely so, so alex without giving too much away um from the workshop but could you give us a flavour, maybe, of what you think communicators need to do when when they're communicating with, you know, culturally and, and linguistically diverse groups? I think in terms of in terms of communicating outside your own culture, really, knowledge is key, and, and working with people on the ground who know the culture, who understand the nuances of language, who are able to reach out um, and take that that global uh, approach, and then and practice it locally, uh, these are the people who are key and who will drive communications in emerging markets over the next 20 years. Okay. Um, well, I think uh, from the sounds of it, your session's going to be uh, pretty uh, popular at the event, so I fear for who's going up against you in the, uh, in the workshop stream. Uh, we're, we're back after this. Consumers are 10 times more likely to buy goods or services if addressed in their own language. Conversus enables international businesses to communicate their message across different languages and cultures. For translation and localization of your PR comms and website content, multilingual desktop publishing and audio dubbing and subtitling of videos, visit conversus.com. You're listening to a World PR Forum special of the uh, C-Suite podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, and my guests, Alex Maloof and Stephen Waddington and uh, Janet Morgan, who we're going to chat to now as she has the forum's keynote session at the breakfast on uh, the Monday of the conference. And the title of her presentation is The Cultural Gap Communications from the Centre. Janet, what do you mean by the cultural gap? 
cultural gap was actually something that started as a bit of a joke between me and my husband because um, I'm actually Canadian but living here in the UK. My husband's UK and he would talk about something. It was a TV program that he grew up with and I would just look at him blankly going, I don't get it, it's a cultural gap. And I would come across these at work. And I think that's sort of where it came. Little did I realise cultural gap is actually a proper sociological term that does indeed define that gap that you are raised with in culture, between your culture and theirs. And Alex very much mentioned that thing about understanding culture, because culture is more than simply language. It's more than the place you grew up with. It's a sum of that part. And so that's more or less where I came to. So, so I'm guessing this is something you've obviously come across at, uh, in your time at, at GSK. Could, could you maybe give us some examples, maybe either internal comms or external, of how your central team has, has helped the local businesses tell the same story to a number of regional audiences? A- absolutely. And it's very similar to what Alex was, ha- had mentioned about the importance of really working with your local markets, with those people who understand the culture in that place. So, for instance, at GSK, I was responsible for developing our corporate story. What is the story of GSK? And making sure that Every bit of the company could tell that story. Now, the company's 100,000 employees. You're across something like 150 markets. You've got people who are interested in R&D. You've got people who are interested in consumer healthcare products, those who are interested in prescription. How do you get them all to tell the same story when they all have a slightly different aim in terms of what they're trying to achieve? And what we ended up doing was coming up with a framework that said, here's the Here's the elements of our story. Here's our vision. Here's what drives us. There's no argument. This is our vision. Everybody should be sharing that one. But how do we then put in enough um, latitude to allow those markets to adapt, to put in the things that are important to them that will resonate with their audiences and those different sorts of audiences and ensure, therefore, that you can tell the same story, but it can really work with a different audience base. Uh, I was going to say an example of that really interesting discussion I had. Part of that was also a tone of voice that said, this is what GSK, this is how we need to be talking with audiences. And one of those terms was about being humble. And that meant essentially not going around bragging. Um, But that term humble means different things in different languages. And I had a great conversation with my colleagues out in China where some of the examples that they were using that they thought really demonstrated how great they were were what we would have considered a little bit more out there because it's all about we're number one in this. And you're going, but what's the patient benefit or what's the benefit to the broader community? So it was having those conversations with them that allowed us to arrive at something that worked for them, was consistent with the story. Stephen and Alex, given your international roles, and I know we've touched on on some of this already, but I'm assuming you've worked on campaigns that have had a similar challenge? Um, So... there's um, yes, and, and you know we, we've talked about the needing to be from a, a toolkit or a campaign development point of view, needing to be aware of, of cultural nuances. So, as you're putting together and planning a campaign, there has to be a loop to 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 be able to you know practice good public relations with the teams that you lead uh, and work with, so that you can incorporate um, what um, you know the importance of, of, of the local culture. But then also give the latitude and freedom for um, for local markets to to 
um, to develop campaigns that you know, are relevant to their own media, cultural behaviours, and, and so on and so forth. It's kind of the, the, the Janet says, you know, t- cited TV as the as as an interesting example. I, I had lunch yesterday with a, um, a German colleague who's been working in the UK for ten years. Speaks perfect English, better than English than probably uh, um, I do. Well, almost certainly than I do. Certainly writes it much better than I do. Um, and um, it's funny, she, she, yeah, we were just talking about the differences between German culture and, and UK culture after 10 years. And she said the one thing she still can't get right is, is, is humour. Um, and and, <laughs> and um, it's actively, it's one of her, the things she's trying to crack this year, is actively spending the time. Uh, testing different bits of British humour, but you know, good luck there because I'm not sure I'd know where to begin. I, I, I should, sorry, Alex. Before I come back to you, I should say we're actually recording this in front of a live studio audience today. We have a colleague's or next colleague's of Janet's here, who's actually from Poland, and she's uh, nodding away there at, at, uh, at Stephen's reference. Uh, Alex, anything to add on that? In, in, in terms of campaigns, especially over here, the, the challenge that we have is the diversity of the audiences that we are approaching. If you look, say, a, a market like the UAE, um, the majority of people actually live here are not from the country. You know, they're from the majority, the single biggest majority are actually from the Indian uh, continent or the Asian continent. So trying to work out with different cultures, you know, it's given an extra bit of spice in a market like you'd find, say, in UAE or Qatar, um, where you've you've got to reach out to all these different stakeholders, and you know some, even if they they speak uh, English and they speak it fluently, um, still there are different nuances. So, for example, with you know with Indian culture, different phrases, different understanding, different meanings, um, and it's 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 also you know it's, it's a challenge. So, um, in terms of how you do it, I think um, a lot of a lot of trial, and I think as well, there's got to be I think, a, a willingness to to fail and to learn from those failures. Or well, not really fail so much as not reach your objectives, but but learn from where things didn't go um, as planned. Well, well, that that leads me nicely onto my next question to Janet, because she's the one giving the presentation. Maybe you could give us some uh, top tips that that you would give those communicators looking to overcome these these particular challenges. <laughs> Well, some of it to me is not just what you do from the centre, because I think those out in the markets need to be quite vocal in terms of working with their centre and feeding back. But if there's only one thing I would ask people who are doing communications campaigns that are supposed to work across markets to do, it is to listen, to listen to each other and find out what's going to be receptive and appropriate to that audience and really give the direction about what it is you're trying to achieve, not the how to achieve it, what you want to achieve. Okay. Um, well, we've, we've already covered off quite a lot in today's show. Um, I, I want to finish off uh, just by going back to Stephen's session. Um, as one of the things that I know you're going to be looking at is what the future of public relations will look like um, in 2026. Now, um, and, and that's that in was terms... Part, that was part of the pitch. Yeah, well, so so you'd written in terms of management structure, tools, workflow, and, and well, this is exactly it. Given, given how much things have changed over the last 10 years, I'm intrigued to uh, to know, well, not just your, Stephen, but uh, Alex and, and Janet as, as well, you know, what, what your thoughts are on this. So, but let's, let's go to you first, so, Stephen. So I, I, you know, I think the signpost that actually the building blocks are already in place, uh, and you know, I, I repeatedly said when I was president of the CIPR, I, I firmly believe that public relations has, has never had such a good opportunity as 
as media is disintermediated. And, and so that's the first thing, you know, we continue to see the decline of traditional forms of advertising and the decline of traditional forms of media being replaced by, um, you know, a whole variety of fragmented forms of media. Um, um, you know, uh, and so that's that's the first thing. Um, you know, we're we're now able to build relationships more directly than we ever have before, um, for the organisations on which we work with publics in the in the broadest sense. We're able to listen. We're able to engage, uh, and and you know that's pushing practice forward. The second thing is, um, I think speed, uh, and that's related to the growth of. The internet and the growth of technology around the internet. So we've talked about mobile already. Um, you know, the ITU um, says, well, I think Facebook and, and Google say 2.6 billion people are connected around the world onto the internet. That's predicted to be tw uh, by 2020 4 billion people. Now we will reach, we will connect the internet to everybody by 2030. Um, um, you know, once that happens, everybody acts. Uh, has you know access to to a form of media to a, uh, and has the means with which to engage with with organisations in the truest sense of the word, and you know that's the future I look forward to. Before I come to to, to you, Alex, I, I just want to ask: Do you really think, g given how much has changed in the last ten years, it was quite funny. I saw at the start of the year, someone tweeted, "I'm for the life of me, I can't remember who it was," but just saying, "At what point do we stop seeing these um, trends blog posts?" You know, uh, that for, was me. For, oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, and I'm just thinking. I mean, d d can we really predict what's going to? So you can't. I, I, so every every year, it's funny, isn't it? It's a, it's a very easy way to get attention at the start of every every yeah. year. You you put out some predictions of the year. More interesting would be to go back to last year's predictions and see how many of them were actually yeah. true or accurate. Um, I think you can speak. You can speak to very broad trends and. and you know, there are the, the the macro trend of more people connecting to the internet through more devices in real time is 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 absolute. Um, you know, every piece of data from the UN to Facebook, Google, uh, the ITU talks to that trend. Governments around the world are, are, are talking to that trend. So, you know, that's very firmly something we know is going to happen, and we've already seen how it's impacted practice. It's only ever going to accelerate. I think. Uh, Alex, your thoughts on future of PR? I think the what I'm watching intently is is to see how or what role that we play in terms of content marketing. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing sort of a, a fight around this area you know, with the creatives looking to to jump in with the the medium buy units, uh, independence as well. But for me, you know. We are the experts in terms of engagement, in terms of dialogue. And how, how or what role will we play in terms of shaping the concept of content marketing? And you know, will we, um, I hope, um, end up leading this area? Because I feel that we have a lot more to give than others. Others do have as well um, a lot to give in terms of this, in terms of creativity, in terms of again, spending in terms of digital, but we've got a key role to play in this, and I'd love to see the industry sort of taking it and embracing it and saying, look, this is ours. We want to own this sector, this this function, well, uh, this concept, and take it from there. What's your thoughts in terms of paid content coming in 
to to this part of the uh, the comms mix, for, you know, with PR taking ownership of things like that, paid social. In in a sense, we're actually seeing it already over here. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, paid work in terms of um, influencer marketing in in the Gulf region. And it's a lot of it is being led by um, the agencies. A lot of it is also being done um, by others. But um, the agencies understand how to to essentially work with you know the the, in, the influencers, um, take the money, spend it, but also then eke more value out of it than anybody else can. So it's it's being pushed over. It's being taken over much more by the PR industry on the agency side. Um, so again, let's hope it continues. Sure, uh, Janet. Let's finish with you. Um, I actually think it's a bit of a partnership because I do think they're bringing some expertise in that marketing side, the media buying side, but we're bringing in that um, that specialism around in the engagement and and broadening it out to more than simply um, a buy sell message. Um, but the other thing that I think that we're in a unique position on is if you're looking more about that engagement, that listening, that interaction with a load of different audiences, that gives us a great deal of insight. And we should be, particularly in the company or if you're with an agency feeding it back into your client within the company, it's up to the management because we can be bringing in a lot of that outside knowledge, that outside pulse, taking the pulse of what's going on and feeding that into the strategy of the business, not just the strategy of communications. Excellent. Well, nice way to uh, to finish off. That's, that's it for another show, actually. So um, I just want to thank all three of my guests again, Alex Malouf, Stephen Waddington and Janet Morgan. Um, don't forget, uh, you can see all three of these guys present in person at the World PR Forum, and that's taking place in Toronto from May the 29th to the 31st. And you can find out more about that event by visiting worldprforum.com and following uh, hash WPRF2016 on Twitter. Thanks again to the team here at Marketeers for recording the show and looking after us and also for patching Alex in from Dubai and I should also give them a shout out at this point um, just to say that they also uh, have an office in Dubai seeing as uh, um, we're we're talking uh, with Alex there so um, if we've picked up any new listeners from the region thanks to Alex being on the show do check out their services at marketeers.com as for this series of podcasts it will be great as usual my usual um, uh, request if you haven't already done so please 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 subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the uh, C-Suite podcast in the iTunes store and while you're there um, if you can give us a decent rating and some positive feedback that'd be great because it all helps us climb the podcast charts and finally if you want to get involved in this series of podcasts then just get in touch with me on twitter um, you can find me at russ goldsmith or drop me a line uh, using the contact form on our new website which um, i have to say it's new and therefore uh, if uh, very um, under designed at the moment but uh, don't worry we're going to work on that but you can go to csuitepodcast.com and there's a contact form you can uh, drop us a line there um, that's it for now thanks for listening and goodbye